Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for this very special podcast. I'm joined by one of my sixth form A-level biology students, Felicity, who has carried out some independent academic research into a fascinating topic, into the romanticisation of consumption. Now, some people listening might not know what consumption is, but it's essentially pulmonary TB. Now, I'm going to hand straight over to Felicity, who can give us a little bit more information. Felicity, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, consumption, which is now predominantly identified as pulmonary tuberculosis, was a lethal disease that spread through Europe and the wider world. This epidemic killed around a quarter of the adult population of Europe in the 19th century, with 80% of those contracting active tuberculosis dying. TB is caused by the bacterium, myobacterium tuberculosis, and is transmitted via infected droplets in the air. This bacterium usually infects the respiratory system, leading to pulmonary tuberculosis. This involves formation of scar tissue on the lungs, but can attack other parts of the body. For example, the disease scrofula, commonly known as the king's evil, is tuberculosis of the neck. The common symptoms of pulmonary TB include fatigue, fever, weight loss, chest pain, and coughing up blood. Unsurprisingly, the medical community of the 17th and 18th centuries viewed the disease as one of repulsive putrefaction. However, by the 19th century, consumption became a fundamentally romantic and intellectual disease and an aesthetic in itself. Today, we will explore the reasons for the paradoxical adulation of consumption in the 19th century, including Victorian beauty standards, its association with intellectualism, its presence in works of literature, and finally, its role as an emotional response to grief. Romanticisation of this disease can be seen throughout Victorian fashion and styles. Young women strove to create a consumptive aesthetic, and the features associated with the illness became increasingly associated with female beauty itself. The very name, consumption, refers to the wasting away of the sufferer due to the weight loss and pale skin caused. This look was widely promoted to drastic extents, and in S.D. Powers' The Ugly Girl Papers, a collection of articles providing beauty advice, they describe how... The fairest skins belong to people in the earliest stages of consumption, or those of a scrofulous nature. This miraculous clearness and brilliance is due to the constant purgation which wastes the consumptive. The writer goes on to encourage the reader to eat as little as possible. This complete disregard for health and the shocking narrative portraying deadly disease as miraculous highlights the extent of idealisation at the time. The desire for consumptive thinness was further reflected in female fashion. From the 1830s, corsets began to focus on creating a slim waist and became excessively constrictive. This led to fainting, poor digestion, muscle atrophy, and even rib deformation in the most extreme cases. However, corsets and starving oneself were not the only ways women attempted to attain a consumptive appearance. Arsenic, despite its known toxicity, was just one of the many compounds used to achieve a pale complexion. Rouge was used to emulate the rosy cheeks and lips caused by fever. Lemon juice, or even poisonous belladonna, was put in eyes as irritants to recreate the sparkling or dilated eyes common in the deceased. The popularisation of these radical fashion trends in upper-class beauty was an extensive feature and cause of the wider obsession with and sexualisation of this disease. Female fragility and weakness were, 
and arguably still is today, fetishized. And this primitive ideal was a crucial factor in the disease's glamorization. Consumption created and enhanced features that were already societally considered beautiful in a woman, fundamentally making the sufferer weaker and therefore more feminine. This contributed to this idealization of thinness and pallor in a self-perpetuating cycle. This aestheticization was a significant cause for the romanticization of TB. The extent of consumption's impact on beauty standards was truly highlighted as its romanticization ended. The disease was demystified through Robert Koch's discovery and isolation of Mycobacterium tuberculosis, the bacteria which causes tuberculosis in 1882, and through the development of germ theory. As understanding grew and the disease's romantic air of mystery began to dissipate, beauty standards evolved again. Corsets reduced in popularity as they were criticised for worsening TB. Skirts shortened during the early 20th century as long ones were attributed to the spread of disease. And facial hair became less common because it was seen as unhygienic. More significantly, and perhaps shockingly, the cultural shift from idolising pale skin as a symbol of wealth and beauty to the modern-day pursuit of tan skin can be traced back to the treatment of this disease. At the beginning of the 20th century, the medical community began using exposure to sunlight as a preventative measure to, and treatment of, tuberculosis. In Switzerland in 1903, Auguste Rollier opened the first hospital to treat the disease using heliotherapy, and in the same year, Niels Finsen was awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine for his treatment of lupus vulgaris, the most common mycobacterium tuberculosis skin infection. Heliotherapy continued to be the most popular form of treatment until 1946, when medicinal tuberculostatic agents became available. The popularity of these medical techniques is closely linked to the popularity and advertising of tanning, with two 1928 Vogue articles promoting the new tanning ideal. Tanning remains fashionable to this day, despite the associated health risks, including skin cancers. The dramatic change in 19th century fashion and beauty trends after the period of consumption's idealisation exhibits its prevalence and immense impact on society, which extended to the intellectual world. Illness has had a complex relationship with the arts and creative ingenuity for centuries. Since the Romantic era, illness has, for many, acted as a prerequisite to artistic talent, and consumption, more than any other disease, was linked to this ideal. Over the course of the 1800s, many notable creative figures died from tuberculosis, leading to its intrinsic association with the arts and intellectualism. This was recognised in 1852 by Alexandre Dumas, one of the most prolific French authors of the time, when he described how it was the fashion to suffer from the lungs, everybody was consumptive, poets especially. It was good form to spit blood after any emotion that was at all sensational, and to die before reaching the age of 30. This statement epitomises how popularised the disease was, and its association with poets. It also references a sensationalistic attitude to dying young, which arguably remains to this day. There's a general belief that those with increased intellectual sensitivity were more likely to succumb to consumption, and later, a supposed decline in the arts was even attributed to a reduction in rates of TB. It was also thought that consumption actually developed creative thinking and considerably contributed to some of the greatest literary work of the 19th century. This phenomenal symptom was named as spes physica and was even seen as a requirement to achieve creative brilliance. Spes physica is medically defined as a state of 
euphoria occurring in patients with pulmonary TB, which supposedly stimulated the creative mind. The existence of this definition demonstrates the extent of popularity of this idea. One of the most famous sufferers of consumption was the poet, John Keats, who died from it in early 1821, aged 26. Keats's success was primarily attributed to his illness, as he wrote all his greatest poems in 1818, including Ode to a Nightingale, To Autumn, and both versions of Hyperion, whilst becoming increasingly unwell. The disease's relationship with Keats's sensual poetry was another contributor to, his, to its reputation as both scholarly and erotic. Percy Shelley, another consumptive poet, further encouraged this ideal through his pastoral elegy, Ode to Adonai, a commemoration of Keats's life and works. Despite Shelley's lack of knowledge surrounding the cause of Keats's death, the romantic descriptions, classical imagery, and discussions of the afterlife in this poem further popularise the growing idealisation of consumption and mortality. Franz Kafka, the acclaimed novelist, born near the end of this century, seemed to have internalised many of these ideas, connecting illness with literary genius, and had a multifaceted relationship with illness throughout, throughout his life. He often described his hypochondria and allowed his obsession with disease to have a dramatic impact on his life. He believed that hypochondria was unavoidable for a person with his literary inclinations and was convinced in the existence of an intrinsic link between sickliness and writing. And perhaps there is some truth in this. The process of enduring an illness does provide one with emotional depth, but Kafka took this idea to fairly extreme heights. Rather ironically, he was diagnosed with TB at the age of 34 and would die only six years later. The affiliation of consumption with intellectualism greatly elevated its romanticisation. The number of writers, poets and artists in the public eye who suffered with and died from the disease, including Chopin, Austin and Thoreau, led to an idealisation of the disease which, importantly, transcended aesthetics. Consumption not only appeared in the lives of writers, but also in their works. Illness often played an important role in literature, and consumption, whilst not always explicitly mentioned, was no different. The characterisation of those who suffer with consumption, as well as the use of the illness as a narrative device, were important contributors to the disease's romantic identity. One notable example of this is in Elizabeth Gaskell's 1855 work, North and South, in which consumption is romanticised through its association with morality. This novel follows the journey of Margaret Hale's life in idyllic Hellstone in the South to industrial Milton in the north of England. It portrays the illness of both Bessie Higgins, Margaret's friend, and her mother, Mrs Hale. Bessie Higgins is presented as having suffered with ill health for a long time, and Margaret comments that Bessie's illness is consumption. Bessie is part of the working class of Milton, but Margaret quickly becomes close with her. She is a pious and religious character, despite her father's lack of faith, presenting her conviction in a more admirable light. Throughout her illness, Bessie looks to God and life after death for comfort, and is the most morally pure character in the book, dying peacefully. Bessie's soft femininity and devotion to her family, Margaret and God cause her illness and death to be depicted as a romantic tragedy in place of the harsh reality of the loss of a young person. The struggles through Bessie's life cause Margaret and the reader to somewhat beautify the deceased's ascension to heaven, with consumption only acting as a means to remove her from the bleak world of Milton. 
Additionally, her death catalyzes the moral development of her father, Nicholas Higgins, who, despite being presented as a well-meaning and passionate man, struggles with drinking, agnosticism and violence. After Bessie's death, Higgins changes dramatically. By no longer drinking, taking responsibility for a family of recently orphaned children, and even renouncing his former complete rejection of Christianity by admitting that his one sole comfort left is that there is a God. Bessie's illness and death has caused her father to turn to faith. Through the infection of a morally pure character and its role in bettering another, consumption becomes increasingly aligned with morality. Similarly, Mrs. Hale suffers with and dies from what can be assumed to be tuberculosis. Mrs. Hale is portrayed as a loving mother, especially to her son Frederick, and a religious woman. Her virtue is exemplified by her decision to marry Margaret's father for love, despite his lower socioeconomic status. Despite this, before and during the family's move to Milton, Mrs. Hale acts in a somewhat haughty and querulous manner. However, the decline in her health causes Mrs. Hale to act more gently and with greater understanding and causes Margaret's relationship with her mother to become much less strained. She also dies peacefully. Once again, consumption seems to provide the good death which was important for 19th century Christians. The improvement in the relationship between the book's heroine and her mother as a result of this disease is just another factor in the novel's beautification of consumption. Consumption's relationship with Christianity and morality portrayed in North and South can also be found littered throughout the most famous novels of the time. These include Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, in which the eponymous protagonist's devout best friend, Helen Burns, dies peacefully from TB in Jane's arms, and the earlier novel, Clarissa, by Samuel Richardson, in which the beautiful and beloved heroine dies from consumption. Romantic descriptions are included of her lovely corpse, and a death so lovely never having been seen before. These literary appearances of the disease greatly contributed to the consumption's romantic portrayal, in the least through their effect on their readers' subconscious views. Romantic descriptions of consumption may have acted as a means for writers grieving victims of TB to cope with their loss, and this romanticisation is reflected in wider society. By turning a deadly disease into something beautiful, there was less focus on the simple unfairness of the utter randomness of illness. Much as faith gives meaning to life, this aestheticisation gave meaning to death. This can somewhat be seen today in the glamorization of mental illnesses, arguably used as a method to cope and destigmatize. Ultimately, however, romanticization is based upon a want of knowledge and understanding, and in a time of such a lack of medical explanation, the view of consumption that occurred is unsurprising. Without scientific understanding of the causes and symptoms of tuberculosis, the disease became defined by metaphors and imagery, leading to its widespread idealization. The American writer Edgar Allan Poe utilized romanticization of consumption, especially in women, to explore his own grief. Poe was forced to endure the consumptive deaths of his mother, foster mother, mother of a friend and own wife, and these deaths had an immense impact on his artistic works. Many of his poems centre around deaths of young women, and in 1846 he commented that the death of a beautiful young woman is, unquestionably, the most poetical topic in the world. This emphatic statement demonstrates his intense emotions and the wide-held nature of this view. In Lenore, he describes the death of the young, fair and debonair Lenore, and his grief seems to be insurmountable. 
Poe emphasizes the youthful nature of Lenore, and the poem focuses on the innate tragedy of such a premature death, deeming her the doubly dead in that she died so young. This ultimately sensationalizes her loss of life, especially as her beauty and femininity, even from her grave, is so prominent. This aestheticization of young female deaths is littered throughout his works and can be seen in poems such as Annabelle Lee, Ulalume, A Ballad, and The Sleeper. Poems by a 19th century celebrity of this kind, heightened romanticization of morbidity and therefore of consumption, as it was so endemic at the time. However, Poe certainly wrote these works as product of his grief and, through his writing, attempted to change the essence of the losses he endured by making them beautiful, special, and therefore meaningful. Charlotte Bronte also experienced TB through the early deaths of two of her siblings. As previously mentioned, her subsequent book, Jane Eyre, includes an outbreak of tuberculosis at Jane's school and the consequent death of her friend Helen. Bronte used the novel to explore her own grief, perhaps subconsciously attributing the highly moral characteristics to Helen as a reflection of her own perception of her sisters. Again, literary work leading to intensified romanticization of consumption originated as an emotional response to grief. Interestingly, Bronte herself seemed to succumb to this view of tuberculosis, despite her personal losses, and commented in 1849 that, consumption, I am aware, is a flattering malady. This demonstrates the extent of glamorization, as even an individual who experiences significant ramifications of the illness has been drawn in, to some extent, by the ideal. Many factors contributed to the romanticization of consumption in the 19th century. Patriarchal beauty standards desiring female fragility, the disease's prevalence amongst intellectual figures, and its appearance in works of literature greatly promoted the idealistic view of tuberculosis. It is also important to consider that many of these features may simply have arisen as a part of a grieving process. However, ultimately, the lack of medical and scientific understanding of the disease enabled its romanticization. This gave the disease its air of romantic mystery and forced people to view it in abstract ways. It is also evident that romanticization could not occur without the scarcity of scientific comprehension due to the drastic changes in the view of the disease following medical advancements, including Koch's discovery. It is a part of human nature to look for meaning in the things which are, often, the most seemingly meaningless. Therefore, absence of medical explanation played the greatest role in tuberculosis's glorification. Felicity, thank you so much for joining us on the channel. Incredible research there. For anyone listening, if you have any questions for Felicity, do get in touch at kytosbiology at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. <laughs>